So my wife and I drove down to Oklahoma for the New Year's weekend and stayed in Tahlequah, which is the capital of the two federally recognized Cherokee tribes based in Oklahoma. And while there, we visited the Cherokee National History Museum, which I highly recommend. On the second floor of the museum, I came across this photo that was mounted on the wall dedicated to some of the early missionaries among the Indians. And it is most definitely not Joseph Smith, even though he does kind of have Joseph's hairstyle. But when I saw it, I just knew I had to take a picture with my phone and inwardly I laughed at the idea of someone claiming it was a photo of Joseph Smith. Now this is probably going to get me in trouble and some of you are already angry at me. But I promise I didn't just do this as a joke or as clickbait. I'm using it as a conversation starter. And if you clicked on this video because you wondered if it might indeed be a photograph of Joseph Smith, then I especially want to have a conversation with you in particular. I want to talk about Joseph Smith and his place in the lives of Mormons and, and all restoration or Book of Mormon believers. Part of the reason I was inspired to share this photo to begin with was because of the recent controversy surrounding a supposed photograph of Joseph Smith. There's been at least two that I'm aware of. And before I say what I'm about to say, I first want to make a full disclaimer here that I did myself watch at least two or three videos about that most recent photo when it was first produced and debated. So please believe me, I am not making any judgment on anyone. But my question is, if a photograph of Joseph Smith were found, which could be fully verified with all experts in agreement as to its authenticity, why would we care? Well, let me back that up. I certainly understand that curiosity alone would draw people who you know, come from a Mormon background. As I said, I am no exception. So perhaps a question really ought to be, why should we care? Curiosity is understandable, but is there something more going on? There are, in my estimation, two extreme views that Book of Mormon believers or people from various Mormon churches seem to have had toward Joseph Smith. I would like to define those views as I have observed them and address my concerns with each of those extremes and then propose that we seek a more balanced view, one that is hopefully more consistent with scripture, with reality, and more in harmony for a follower of Jesus Christ. The first view is what I'll call Joseph Smith the Flawless. Brigham Young is basically seen as a villain, which I wouldn't care to argue too much against. And Joseph Smith is seen basically as the new gold standard. Whereas the second view is what I call One Trick Smith. The idea that Joseph Smith was to translate the Book of Mormon and never bring any other form of ministry or receive any revelation of any kind. And essentially, anything and everything else he ever got from the Lord was of no real value after that. This first view, 
Joseph Smith, the flawless, is certainly popular among many of the LDS who are questioning the church and realize that there are lies in their church history and in some of their doctrine and scriptures. The issues in the church get heaped upon Brigham Young, which seems fair for some of them, especially polygamy. And Joseph Smith then becomes the safe place to land, which is understandable. And essentially everything we can prove that Joseph Smith did or taught is therefore deemed as correct. This view of the flawless prophet is essentially the traditional view of the RLDS church that we had of Joseph Smith for forever. Anything that offended our senses or our understanding of the scriptures and correct doctrine was either swept under the carpet, not discussed, or it was laid at the doorstep of Brigham Young. The problem is that despite being in denial and rejecting the doctrine of polygamy and other doctrines of the LDS that we believe Joseph Smith never had anything to do with, the Lord still saw fit to shake the foundations of that church and even cause a mass exodus out of that church. And why? And what has been revealed to many over the years is that it's because our foundation was not Christ but rather Joseph Smith. And every subsequent attempt to rebuild or reorganize the RLDS church, according to what we understand to be the proper order of things, according to the teachings of Joseph Smith, have utterly failed. It's become quite obvious that the Lord himself is against it. The first major problem with this view of Joseph Smith as flawless is that it is unscriptural. In Romans 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All that is, except for Jesus Christ himself. And so that includes Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And like all human beings, did so throughout much of his life. And in Jeremiah 17:5 it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Nephi also repeats this strongly worded admonishment in the Book of Mormon. And yet we find ourselves doing precisely that in regards to Joseph Smith. And for many in the LDS who are now questioning, previously you did this with your current church leadership or with Brigham Young. Doesn't really matter who it is, if it's anyone but Jesus Christ, we are in error and in danger of deception. The truth is that Joseph Smith, even though he was indeed chosen of God to do work, was deeply flawed, like all of us human beings. God even enumerates many of his weaknesses in many of those early revelations, and warns Joseph that if he isn't careful, he will fall. An unbiased and unflinching look at the early history of the church reveals many mistakes and even some false revelations. But understand, Joseph Smith was no more flawed than many of the great men of the Bible. Rejecting the falsehoods of Brigham Young or other men in leadership in the church over the years is admirable. But one should be careful in landing on Joseph Smith and his teachings as the gold standard. 
Certainly, I understand that this may be a part of people's process as they question the church and they need to know where to land on. But the only gold standard and the one true foundation we must build upon is not Joseph Smith, but Jesus Christ. And think about it. What is the origin story of the church? What story do we tell prospective converts or when people are asking about our church? Do we start with Joseph Smith? Possibly the first vision or the plates and the angel Moroni? Isn't this where we've always started? How revealing it is that the origin of the church is Joseph Smith. That is precisely why God must bring us out from the churches. Because Jesus Christ should be our origin story, not Joseph Smith. This is why God said in Ezekiel 34.10, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them, and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves any more, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so that they will not be food for them. And God says that he would give those sheep over to one shepherd, who is that shepherd? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11. And in Ezekiel 20, 35, it says, And I will bring you into the wilderness, and there will I plead with you face to face. You see, when our origin story begins with Joseph Smith, then we fall into that error that Paul spoke of when he said in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I of Apollos, or I of Cephas. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? And I would ask this question, was Joseph Smith crucified for us? He goes on and says, Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Now it is my firm belief, and I have been convicted in my heart, that even as Paul speaks of here, that Mormonism has become a schism of Christianity. It became something it was never intended to be. It got a good start, but almost immediately things began to get off track. And I believe the pivotal moment where we made that turn is when Joseph Smith was made into one like Moses, being the only one appointed to hear the word of the Lord for the church, and also given such a high office in the church that he was not to be corrected by anyone of a lower office. The justification that he alone was the prophet because he was like Moses was, of course, a lie planted by the adversary. Because when there were certain people in the camp of Israel prophesying and certain men tried to tell Moses that he should put a stop to it, he admonished them and said that he would that all of Israel were prophets. Now hear me out. If anyone does themselves the favor of setting aside the doctrine and covenants and the pearl of great price or any other scripture but the Bible and the Book of Mormon, and if you will pour over those two books 
until the teachings in them become ingrained in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. And then pick up those other books and refuse to let them be grandfathered in, but hold them up to scrutiny against the two books which God said he would make one in his hand to the putting down of false doctrines. You'll be astonished by the degree to which many of the doctrines in the church depart from the truth and have become another gospel. Growing up in the church, I think I heard the name Joseph Smith practically as much as I heard the name Jesus. I am truly grateful for the work that Joseph Smith did in translating the Book of Mormon. What a tremendous gift it is to the world. That record heralds the gathering of the lost tribes and the restoration of the whole house of Israel. And he sacrificed a lot to do that work, he endured a lot of persecution. Lies were spoken of him, lies that still endure even to this day, virtually unchallenged. But God is no respecter of persons, as the scriptures say, and he created us all equally. Joseph Smith was not any greater in the sight of God than you are. He was chosen to do a certain work as are we all. He was a man, all in all, a child of God, but also flawed, like the rest of us. And this is why we are not to put our trust in any man, but put to test every teaching and any new doctrine. There was a man who used to attend our congregation who greatly revered Joseph Smith, and still does so much so that we could hardly ever gather together, then he felt the need to utter the name Joseph Smith at least once and speak of his greatness. One time in particular, he even made the statement that he believed Joseph Smith to be the greatest prophet since Moses. Well, that would place him above all of the prophets of the Bible and the Book of Mormon, making him greater than the likes of Alma, Jeremiah, Isaiah, even the three who were translated and did not taste of death and still walk the earth today. But what did Jesus say? When speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus said, What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's Matthew 11.11. 11. This statement by the Lord Jesus Christ places John the Baptist above Moses, which means Joseph Smith could not be the greatest prophet since Moses. To say nothing of the fact that Jesus himself was a prophet, even as Deuteronomy 18.15 states, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like unto me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And Acts 3.22 plainly tells us that Moses was speaking of Jesus. Is Joseph Smith greater than Jesus? Jesus was prophesied of 456 times just in the Old Testament of the Bible to say nothing of the many, many prophecies in the Book of Mormon. How many prophecies of Joseph Smith are there? Well, just one. It is generally understood 
that he fulfilled the prophecy of the unlearned man. That's it. By lifting up Joseph Smith to the world, we show ourselves to be a schism of Christianity, one that just seeks to divide the body of Christ like all the others, by us being among those who say, we are of Joseph, rather than we are of Christ. And friends, this is a form of idolatry. I will not and cannot worship him, or make him the gold standard, or my foundation. This is idolatry, and it is the idolatry of Mormonism as a whole. Whether LDS or RLDS or any other version, whatever men that we hold up, whether it's Joseph or Brigham Young or any other leaders of the church, it is a form of idolatry. Let's talk about this second view of Joseph Smith that Book of Mormon believers have, and I call that one One Trick Smith. I know, I'm trying to be funny, but generally this view begins with an early revelation received through the Urim and Thummim by Joseph Smith during the time that he was translating the Book of Mormon. And this revelation was printed in the Book of Commandments in 1833, and is found in chapter 4, verse 2, which states that he, meaning Joseph Smith, has a gift to translate the book, meaning the Book of Mormon, and I have commanded him that he shall pretend to no other gift, for I will grant him no other gift. This was later changed in 1835 without the knowledge of the elders of the church, who did not discover that and other major changes made to the revelations until after they had already voted to approve them in the Doctrine and Covenants, since they only thought that they were voting on the approval of additional revelations being added, and were not told that men had made changes to the previous revelations that had already been approved and previously printed. Now, I have pointed this out on numerous occasions on this podcast, and I do believe that Joseph Smith went beyond what God had called him to do. But only in those things that are unscriptural or contrary to how the church is to operate under the new covenant. For example, setting Joseph Smith up as president, prophet, seer, revelator, and the only person who can receive revelation for the church so that everyone else is now beholden to him for the word of the Lord. But it is an error to imagine that Joseph Smith had no ministry after translating the Book of Mormon. The very worst sort of beliefs are those that come from taking a single verse of scripture and using it to form an opinion. What does it say but that God will, in the mouth of multiple witnesses, establish every truth? It is a witness of a number of first elders in the church that after Joseph Smith was finished translating the Book of Mormon and gave up the plates and the translators, that he told them that he would now resume his duties among them as one of the elders of the church to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But something happened. The persuasion of men took hold and Joseph began to be convinced that maybe he was supposed to be something much greater. Now it is true that God told him to pretend to no other gift, that none other would be given him. 
And I believe this is because God, being outside of time and in the midst of eternity and knowing all things, knew Joseph's weakness and knew what he would be tempted with. I believe this statement was made by the Lord specifically about pretending to a similar kind of gifting as what he was working in at the time. And an example of a failure of this would be that Joseph Smith would end up continuing to claim the title of seer, even though he no longer had the translators. And he would later be deceived into thinking that he could translate some ancient Egyptian burial rites, and thereby we got the Book of Abraham. A mix of some truths, possibly, but also many lies inspired by Satan in order to deceive many. The fact that this early revelation limiting Joseph's gift got changed in secret and with no reason ever given, just the sheer lack of transparency in that, reveals that those who did this, which would have included Joseph, knew better, deep down inside. Deception always begins, though, by men deceiving themselves, based on the desires of their hearts. In every age, they are easily corrupted, and the rest of us are no exception. We must continually humble ourselves and put certain checks in place, among those having good friends who tell you like it is. And when you're screwing up or you've done something or said something that isn't right, they call you on it. Or they challenge you. There's a reason why we need to be part of a body, the body of Christ. We need each other to get through this. And God chooses the weak things of this earth, those who are prone to error, to show forth his power, to reveal that he is God and he is able to accomplish his purposes, even when working through deeply flawed human beings. But why would we imagine that this revelation, this warning to Joseph Smith to not imagine something of himself that he isn't, why would we think that Joseph was supposed to be more limited than any other member of the church? For we read in the scriptures that signs would follow the believers, that we are supposed to perform miracles, heal the sick, cast out devils, and that we're supposed to walk in all the gifts of the Spirit, including prophecy. And therefore, it is no sin that Joseph Smith should prophesy, or even that he should be a prophet. For Moses desired all of Israel to be prophets. And the Apostle Paul said that the believers should seek after the best gifts, but above all, the gift of prophecy. Ephesians says that Christ placed in his church apostles, prophets, teachers, all these in the plural. There should be prophets among us. The issue is that Joseph allowed himself to be propped up and to be convinced that he should be the prophet, which thing doesn't exist in the scriptures, except in the case of Jesus Christ, who is the prophet whom we should hear. But that does not mean Joseph did not have a calling as a prophet or that he could never receive any additional light and truth. God does not limit you or I in that way, and if he did, how could we be the body of Christ? And how could we fulfill the mandate that he gives to us? Though I do believe that Joseph fell into many errors, I do believe he came by many of them honestly. And having been deceived myself, 
and also having witnessed many whom I love also be deceived. We certainly cannot look down on Joseph Smith any more than we should look up to him. Now, some imagine that because Joseph committed error or fell into sin or was possibly deceived on certain topics, that this means God stopped working with him altogether and that everything Joseph ever received after a certain period of time, let's say 1829 or maybe it's 1830, could not have been from God. I understand that as humans, we love everything to be black and white, but we must take a more nuanced approach if we really want the truth. After all, we have all been deceived or walked in error at one time or another. All have sinned and fallen short, and yet does God cease to work with us? Does he cease to communicate with you? You know, I became so hurt because of the church and the actions of certain men in power that I joined a cult, and for a while I entertained many wrong-headed ideas. And yet, God continued to bless me, to teach me, to reason with me, and reveal things to me. He even appeared to me and told me to go to Missouri, to the land of Zion. Joseph may have fallen into error, and believed or taught some things that were wrong. But that does not mean that everything he heard from the Spirit, or every direction or insight he received, should be rejected. There are a few things that people now call into question, like independence as the place of the New Jerusalem, or the revelation on the glories, or his belief that many of the saints of European stock were a mix of Gentile and also the blood of the lost tribes. But upon inquiring of the Lord, there was revealed to me many, many witnesses that are completely independent of Joseph Smith or the Restoration, including many things revealed by the mouth of the prophets and even the words of Jesus himself. I would like to share more on that very soon. I've been reading David McAuliffe's uh, book on Truman, and it's been quite an eye-opener in regards to the connection between President Truman, Independence, Missouri, and Jerusalem in the Middle East and the gathering of the Jews. But for now, I'll conclude this episode by suggesting that we try to avoid extremes. Avoid pitting the Book of Mormon against the Bible, or making the Book of Mormon the end-all and be-all of our understanding. In terms of the fullness of the Gospel, yes, in terms of the doctrine that Christ set out for our salvation. Yes, that book has all that we need to know to be saved. But so does the Bible, I would argue. And it was both of these records, God said, and put forth even in the Book of Mormon itself, that both of these records together, that God would grow into one to correct the stumbling of the Gentiles and to fix our bad doctrine, not just the Book of Mormon. And whether we lift Joseph Smith up to be the gold standard to look to, believing everything he ever said or taught or believed, or if instead you believe that the only truth Joseph ever brought forth was the Book of Mormon, and everything else was dross to be dispensed with, either one of these views, in my opinion, is an error. My hope is that we take the view supported in the scriptures, 
the view supported by reality as it truly is, and be open to the Spirit in guiding us through these things. And if something is truly contrary to the Bible and the Book of Mormon, well, then we should jettison it. Only make sure that it really is contrary to God's Word, and not simply contrary to our own limited understanding at this present moment. Amen? And if I haven't completely offended you yet, I hope you will join me next time. And until then, God bless. Thank you.